Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Today we're speaking to Lucy who shares her emotional story of five rounds of IVF um, as well as some experienced losses. Um, so she fell pregnant naturally mm-hmm. and unfortunately she um, terminated for medical reasons with that pregnancy so she talks about that and why today. Um, her story is uh, quite long, they've done five rounds of IVF now um, but it was really nice to speak to her and listen to her story and her experiences. Yeah, like I felt like when we were interviewing with Lucy, you sort of go through the ups and downs yeah. with the people that you're interviewing, but particularly with her because her story, um, you know, she's gone through five rounds and she's yet to have a live baby. So um, I think, you know, it's an eye-opening journey. So we hope you enjoy listening to today's episode. Thanks for joining us um, on IBF Tales today, Lucy. Thanks. Do you just want to give us um, a little bit of an introduction about who you are, where you're located and who's in your family? Sure. So um, I'm Lucy. I'm 41. Um, obviously, you can probably tell from my accent, I'm originally from the UK. I'm originally from London um, and I moved here about 12 years ago. My mum's Australian, so I've got Australian citizenship as well as UK citizenship. Um, and I met my partner Luke here about six years ago, um, and he's actually, funnily enough, from the UK as well. But um, yeah, we, and that's that's kind of my family at the moment—just me and Luke, and then my mum and her fa- and my family, Australian family here, and then I've got English family back in the UK as well. Any pets in that? No, we live in a unit in Sydney, oh. um, and we both work full time. So as much as I'd love a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to be sensible and you know, it wouldn't really be fair on a dog to have a you you know have yeah. people out all day and them stuck in a unit all day so we've you know we've forgotten that for the time being we just ask because everyone in the fertility community has like their you know fur babies and things like that and they always want to include that yeah. yeah we've talked about that so much like we you know said you know maybe we should get one but it you know it's just it's, as with everything else you've got to be sensible and you know I just yeah we will eventually I mean that's that's the thing was infertility you always go oh when when we have kids we'll get a dog or Mm. you know we'll move into a house and you know blah 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 but it's you know so you do kind of put things on hold for infertility oh yeah your life sort of stops (laughs) while you try to conceive a baby yeah exactly and I've the last year or so I've like last sorry six months I'd say I've really tried to stop doing that Mm -hmm. I've you know I've we've booked holidays and I've done things like I'm gonna get braces because my teeth are a bit wonky and things you know Mm -hmm. and just stuff that makes me happy in the here and now Mm -hmm. rather than going oh I can't do that because what if we have a baby in six months or pregnant six months or you know I've been doing that for the last four years and I I can't do it anymore I have to sort of make myself happy yeah being present I think in the moment is really important for your sanity hey yeah absolutely yeah and you know because we've been going for a while that's um something i've learned along the way and it's taken me a long time to get to that point though i have to say mm-hmm. well, did you want to give us some background on your fertility story so when did you sort of start trying for babies or talking about having babies and when did you realize something might be wrong sure um so me and Luke, I didn't meet, so I'm 41 now, but I didn't meet Luke until I was like 34 and he was, he's a bit younger than me, so he was 29 when I met him. And so obviously you want to enjoy being with someone um, and not, you know, you don't want to launch into trying to have children straight away, but it was always on the back of my mind. Um, and so we started talking about it a couple of years into our relationship, um, so about four years ago now. Um, and... You know, he wasn't, because he, he was a bit younger, he wasn't as keen to sort of get starting straight away. He did want kids with me, but, you know, not necessarily at the point that I wanted to start. Um, and then, unfortunately, he had a big health scare um, where he had a stroke. Um, 
in, at the age of, say, one, which was a bit of a scare to both of us. Um, he was absolutely fine, recovered completely. Um, and I think that kind of made him realise that, you know, life's short and that we need to sort of get going. Um, so we started, yeah, about three and a half years ago, I'd say, um, to start trying. Um, and actually, I fell pregnant pretty much straight away. Um, and things seemed to be going okay. Um, but then at 15 weeks after, we had an, sorry, we, I'll go reverse back a bit. We had the um, 12 week scan and everything looked okay, but um, I had the NIPT test, which is where they test your blood um, for fetal fraction and to see if there's any chromosomal abnormalities. And um, they didn't get any result. There was not enough fetal fraction in my blood. Um, at, this was about, at about 13 weeks when the results came back. Um, so then I had a CVS, which is where they put a big needle in your stomach, and I believe it's where they get um, placenta, um, you know, um, cells from the placenta. But I'm, I could be wrong on that. There's an amnio and there's a CVS. I had mm -hmm. a CVS. I, can, I can't 100% know what the difference is. Um, and that unfortunately that came back that the baby had um, triploidy, which is where it has um, a whole extra set of chromosomes. Um, so instead of, you know, the, I think it's that you have, I, anyway, I don't know what the number is, but it was an, an extra set completely. So it just isn't compatible with life, basically, which was a real horrendous shock. Um, and I got it at work, when I was at work, a call to tell me. Um, so we decided that you could, we, the doctors gave us the option of carrying on or, um, and just waiting for it naturally to end, the pregnancy to end or to terminate. Um, which we decided to do, um, which was like a re horrendous because um, I had to deliver the baby at 15 weeks, which wasn't like, you don't push or anything like that, but it wasn't, you know, a wonderful experience. But it wasn't in, in the sense of sort of saying goodbye to that baby. It actually was quite a nice experience in that sense. Um, so then we, you know, that was a bit of a shock to the system because, you know, we, you know, you just presume you get pregnant, you go on and have baby and stuff like that. Um, and then about six weeks later, I got my first period after that. And then we got pregnant again straight away, um, which actually was too soon emotionally for me. Mm -hmm. I was pretty numb. Um, and then at the seven week scan, there was a heartbeat, but it was slow, very slow, like 67 per um, beats per minutes, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and then we went back at eight weeks and the heartbeat stopped. So had another miscarriage. So that we just had tablets to bring that on the miscarriage. And um, yeah, that was, I just was numb at that point. I shouldn't have, we should have waited to not try to get pregnant because it just, it, I still was recovering from the first loss that we had. Because I still see it as, even though we terminated, I still see it as a loss. It wasn't, it didn't ever feel like a really a choice. Um, of course. You know, it was just, yeah. So, um, and I sound a bit sort of, you know, I don't sound emotional about it, but it was a few years ago and I just, I don't know, I think that's how I process things. I'm just trying to be a bit more matter of fact about it all. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I, so after the second loss, we just presumed that, you know, we didn't have any problems getting pregnant. It was just getting the right, um, you know, right embryo. Um, you know, we weren't in IVF at that point, but we just stopped being able to get pregnant totally, like just nothing happened for a year. Um, and I did have, so after the second uh, missed miscarriage, I did have um, two weird bleeds sort of completely out of sync, like within a week of each other. And so I went to the doctor and they um, did a swab and they found that I had strep in my um, uterus. Oh my goodness. But they said that could be um, normal. It couldn't be um, not. They didn't think it was a problem. So yeah. Um, but I always wondered whether that was something that you know had stopped me from getting pregnant after that. But I don't know mm. whether that is or not. Um, but I've had antibiotics and things like that. So it's not like um, like it was dealt with sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then so yeah, after a year, we just nothing was happening. So we decided to look at the IVF route and, and what also I was keen to do the IVF route was to do the um, genetic testing, the PGS testing, um, just because obviously we'd had to. So the second um, miscarriage was they found was trisomy 18. 
um, which is again is a chromosomal thing mm-hmm. um, and it's quite a common one um, and I, you know obviously I was over 35 so I think it's you know in terms of age that's kind of a common one mm-hmm. to have um, but you know so the PGS testing for me was kind of quite appealing um, so we went to a private clinic because obviously you can't really I don't there's most bulk building clinics don't do it um, and then we did, I think, around in I think the first round of IVF we did is in June 2018. Um, and we got five eggs. I kind of, you know, thought that I'd get loads more because that's what you hear people getting, um, you know, 20 or 30, you know, and I've always been an optimistic person, but so I was quite shocked at five, but they seemed quite enthusiastic about that. Um, and out of that five, we got three blastocysts mm-hmm. um and my um fs um my facility specialist sorry i shouldn't abbreviate um said look one of them is really good it's probably part gone past the point of pts testing so and it's hatching why don't you transfer a fresh transfer for that one so we did that um then one the other so the other two um we tested one and then the other one wasn't quite um at the stages they needed to do PGS testing. I didn't know any of this before I started IVF. I just thought all could be tested, but yeah. But they still froze it. They said it was still viable, um, but it just wasn't able, they weren't able to test it. Um, and so the fresh transfer didn't take at all. We had a, just a, a no, um, and the, but the PGS tested embryo came back normal. So that was good. Um, so I decided, because we had two frozen, and I wanted more than one child, I decided that I wanted to do another um, round before we transferred either of those two. Um, so we did another second round of uh, um, IVF. Um, just It was just an agnostic cycle, so both of them were. So it was Gonolf and um, Ogolutran. I don't even know how to say that properly. Ogolutran. One that stops you ovulating. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they upped the meds a little bit and I got seven eggs that time, um, but I only ended up with two blasts. And um, so that we went to transfer the PGS tested one, um, but unfortunately that didn't make the thaw. Mm-hmm. So I, and that was again, something I hadn't ever considered. So it was a real kind of um, gut punch when they rang me that morning. Cause um, so it was like, it was like five days after my embryo, sorry, after my egg retrieval, we were going to transfer the frozen one because it was PG tested. It didn't make sore at all, so um, I ended up just testing. And um, can we backpedal just for a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah. What what testing, if any, did your fertility specialist implement before you started your IVF? So sure. did he Sorry, test your yeah, AMH of course, levels? Fair enough. Um, that, so just AMH, and so I had we'd also done at the hospital where we'd had the two losses. We'd also already done the genetic testing. Okay. So the karyotype. So we had both our chromosomes tested, and they both came back completely normal. Okay. Um, and then obviously at the IVF clinic, they test you, I think they test you for STDs, they're all clear. Um, my, my AMH was 18, mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty good for, I think at the time I was 39, so mm-hmm. that's pretty good. Um, um, my partner's sperm was above average, of course, you know, super sperm as they always like to joke about. Um, so yeah, like the testing was pretty good. The only thing they said was his sperm was because there were so many that it was a little bit sticky. So they opt. So they just said, "There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a little bit sticky." I don't really know what that means, to be yeah. honest. But they decided that um, sounds like ICSI that should be a good thing. Was, yeah, yeah, I know. But yeah, they decided ICSI was the you know the ICSI was best to do. Okay. In rather than standard IVF. Okay. Um, yeah. So with my first and second rounds, I got five. The first round, I got five eggs and four mature and three fertilized and three made it to blasts. Okay. And then the second round, I had seven eggs, six were mature, five fertilized, but only two made it to blasts. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, not anything out of the ordinary testing mm-hmm. um, to begin for those t- first two rounds. Um, so they couldn't really did... explain why you, why you couldn't fall pregnant? No. It was sort of unexplained? No, there was okay. nothing. So she started, after the one, she started to talk about uh, laparoscopy, um, and having a look inside to see if there was some reason that they just couldn't see on scans or anything like that. Um, 
but we decided to wait for it we'd do another frozen embryo transfer first um before we did that but she what she we did do was a um, a, a scratch mm-hmm. um and she along with that she did a biopsy um to see for natural killer cells um and that came back as slightly elevated so we started for the the um frozen embryo transfer they decided so sorry and one of the so able to, in the second round we d- did a fresh transfer um that didn't take and then the, the other one was able to be biopsied and that came back normal as well okay from the pgs testing mm-hmm. um and then um so for the frozen embryo transfer we did an immune pro- protocol with um uh, steroids um from day one and then you do um antibiotics for five days you start five days before you transfer um and then you start on day of transfer clexane which is a um blood thinner mm-hmm. um and you also do intralipids so we did intralipids an intralipid infusion before um i'm sure other people have spoken about that because it's quite a common thing to do so that was to in order to um lower my immune system to hopefully make sure that no um, natural killer cells were attacking the embryos or anything like that right okay Um, yeah that whole process is that's what that's for Mm -hmm. um so we did the um frozen embryo transfer and she did a we did a um a, a hrt frozen embryo transfer which is where they give you um a hrt drug um which I think it basically regulates your hormones mm-hmm. um, and it, and they just want to look at your lining to make sure that it's thick enough and then if that's thick enough on say day 14, 15, they'll then cite you on progesterone um, which tricks your body into thinking that it's ovulated um, and then they'll transfer five days later. So we transferred um, the embryo that was tested, PGS tested. Um, normal um, and unfortunately again it just didn't stick not even you know not remotely didn't work mm. um, so after that I was feeling I, I was it was really taking a toll on me um, I put on loads of weight I'm, I've always been this sort of bigger girl um, but I'd put on quite a lot of weight from I think you know one the drugs but also the emotional side of things I've always been an emotional eater um, and you know the whole process is really draining and really emotionally draining, not just physically draining. So I was in a bit of a bad place after two rounds and three transfers. Um, and my um, facility specialist at the clinic wanted to then proceed with a laparoscopy um, to have a look to see what was going on, um, if there was something you know untoward that we just couldn't see on blood tests or on scans and stuff like that but I just needed a break I just need it was my 40th birthday was coming up in the December and I just couldn't I just kept moving the date of the laparoscopy I just couldn't I couldn't get into it I just needed to just completely I switched so I've been a member of all the Facebook pages for IVF support which has been fantastic but I had to turn all of them off I just couldn't cope with anything to do with infertility or IVF, I just needed to really just step away from it all at that point. Um, I, it just was all too much. And we'd had a lot of other things happen to us throughout this whole process. Outside of that, we'd had um, some family members pass away um, and just, you know, just things that out, you know, out of control. And we'd, you just need to start looking after yourself. There's times when you just realise it's all just too much. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely one of those points. Um, you know, I'm a pretty determined person, you know, I want to, you know, I don't feel like I can ever quit, you know, and I just want to get, you know, focus on getting something done. But at that point, I just had to stop. I couldn't. And there's been other points that that's happened as well, but that was definitely one of them. So, and so we did, we took a big break. So I think the, the um, failed um, em- frozen embryo transfer was in October um, and I had my 40th birthday in December which was seemed like such a big birthday like such a cut-off point you know that you know we were told as women that you know fertility is you know only a certain up to a certain point and kind of 40 always feels like has felt like the cut-off point to that so that was a really big birthday so I think that kind of added to that everything Mm -hmm. um but I have a I do have a 
um, psychologist that I see and she really made me see that it's not you know it's an arbitrary number and it's not necessarily the cut-off point at all and like plenty of people go on and have children you know that are much older um and that I need to celebrate my birthday which we did I ended up having a big party which was one of the most fabulous nights so I'm really pleased that she kind of pushed me to do that and celebrate rather than mourn it in that respect Mm um and yeah so um yeah, we just had a break. We went on a big cruise just after Christmas and just really relaxed, like just like really chilled out. Um, and then I was, I felt strong again to sort of hit the road and get going again. And I, it, I'm, you know, I'm really for having a break and really listening to yourself and saying you just have to, you have to stop for a while. As determined as you are, you need to just sort of sit back and go that this is not the be all and end all of everything in your life, and that you know, you can't let it take over sort of thing, which it was, definitely was, you know, it's all I thought about and all, you know, it was on my mind 24 seven and, you know, I dream about it and I think about it and, you know, that's not healthy. There's got to be a balance. So I'm really pleased that I kind of forced myself to just take a break. So it was from about October to about February. So it was a decent sized break, especially when you're getting older, that kind of feels a bit like, oh, it's a long time. You're gonna, you know, miss out on many months of retrieving eggs, etc. So, um, but it was worth it, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came back and decided we, we were also running out of money um, by that point. Um, so we had to weigh up what was, whether um, we go one more time with a full paying clinic or we go to a bulk clinic that doesn't do the PGS testing. Um, but we can go as many times as we want and keep going and keep going. Um, so that's what we decided to do because I just wasn't ready to sort of say is this the next one was the last one or anything like that. Um, and it's really unfair that money would play a part in that, but that's the, just the reality of, of life. We, you know, we spent $30,000 on, IVF so far and you know you you know that's a lot of money um and mm-hmm. it's a lot of money to most people and it, you know it, it's really unfair that, that you know something that we don't even know why you know is ha- why it's happening to us we'd have to give up because we just can't afford it and you know I think in Australia we're really really lucky and I look at the pages in um IVF support pages in America and how much it costs there and I just I can't even begin to imagine the strain that that would take um on you it you know it's already bad enough um here and it's and it's you know pretty well um you know even if you go to a private clinic you still get a huge amount back from um, medicare mm-hmm. i think that's fantastic um you know and there can be improvements you know i'd love that if a bulk building clinics could start pgs testing and things like that but um that's not reality and it probably will be at some point but probably too late for me sort of thing um but yeah so we end up moving to a bulk building clinic um at but at the same time i also saw a reproductive immunologist um who specializes in um uh specializes in recurrent um transfer failures and recurrent pregnancy uh, pregnancy losses which is kind of what's happened to me mm-hmm. um so i and you know i know it's not um it's not for everyone and, and a lot of um, fertility specialists don't necessarily believe it makes any difference and this is the again the natural killer cells etc um but i i wanted to sort of explore that a bit more um and what you can see the immunologist in conjunction with your fertility clinic um they don't even have to know about it if you don't want them to um so I saw him, he did my laparoscopy and I, had a, I also had a hysteroscopy, um, I think that's how you say it, and a dye study um, of my tubes and he did another biopsy and a DNC just to clear everything out. Um, and they did discover some mild endometriosis. Um, so that could be part of the reason why I'm um, not getting pregnant, I don't know. Um, we still don't really know. Um, I mean, I think part of it's my age as well. Um, and also at the clinic, at the new bulk building clinic, they tested my AMH again, um, and it had gone down to 15. So in a year, about a year and 
a half. They'd gone down from 18 to 15. So obviously, you know, they do, it does decline, but um, it's, you know, obviously starting to decline relatively ra- rapidly. Um, so I had the laparoscopy um, and, you know, the results were, I was quite surprised with endometriosis because I've had no, um, no symptoms as far as I could, you know, look at the symptoms. I, I mean, I, my periods are, can be painful, but not to the extent that they're, you know, I'm doubled over. It's just, I take a few painkillers and, and get on with the day sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they've been regular. There's nothing really that I would have, you know, when I look at the symptoms that I would have thought would work, you know, it would make that diagnosis, but it, it was there. So, um, and he removed that. So, um, and I don't know how quickly it sort of returns. That was about a year ago now. Um, and then we went straight into a cycle with the bulk billing clinic. Um, and um, after they'd done, they'd already done testing before I had the laparoscopy. So I think that was in March of last year. Um, and we got five eggs again. So it seems to be my kind of average, five to seven. Um, and we got two blast cysts, which we transferred both. Um, and to see if that would make a difference, it's something I hadn't tried. Um, they were both what, um, they were both pretty good. I was pretty disappointed with the the, um, the fertilisation. So we'd had five eggs, four were mature, and only two had fertilised. Um, and I kind of felt a bit like I'd been triggered a bit early. It felt all a bit rushed. Um, um, so I wasn't that round seemed a bit you know rushed. It didn't seem like I'd got what I wanted. And the new fertility specialist was a bit, she wasn't, um, it's another woman, she wasn't um, the friend, she wasn't that empathetic as the other one, the previous one I'd experienced at the full pain clinic. But I, I felt that there wasn't a huge difference of care between the full pain clinic and the bulk billing. I still felt like I was cared for. I just felt like maybe they gave me the trigger a little too soon um, and that I might have had a better chance of having I don't know. I don't know. I'm, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor and they are, I'm not, but you know, that's how just my gut mm-hmm. told me that I should have gone a few more days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we transferred the two plasticists, um, and I did get a positive pregnancy test, a very, very faint pregnancy test, um, that lasted for about three days and then faded away by the time, um, we had the, um, blood test with the clinic. Um, so she said that my, HCG blood test was about five, so that you know maybe there had been something in it, you know, so maybe it was a little early chemical pregnancy or something. Mm-hmm. But it felt as sad as I was about that, it felt like it was a sort of a step in the right direction, like something started to happen. Mm-hmm. And even though it hadn't stuck, that was kind of I don't know. I felt really positive about that, even though it hadn't, you know, in the end it was negative. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of gives you a good idea of where my head, like my headspace was that much better that I was kind of seeing positive and stuff like that. Um, so we have to, uh, both clinics I've been with make you wait a month after you've done an egg retrieval just to let your body recover before you can do another round. Um, and we still had, so just so you know, I still had one frozen with my previous clinic mm-hmm. uh, from the first ever round that was not able to be biopsied, but it was still good enough to be um, uh, frozen and they reassured me um, that they don't ever freeze anything unless they think it's viable mm-hmm. so you know, but I was really conscious of having to pay quite a lot of money to do a frozen embryo transfer for one embryo that because we'd had one that didn't um, make you know didn't survive the thaw I was really conscious that that would happen again I'd pay a huge amount of money for a frozen embryo transfer um, and then you know um, it wouldn't it wouldn't work or it wouldn't it, you know it wouldn't even be able to be transferred mm-hmm. um so i just left it there for the time being um so then we did another round in may last year um so the sorry i'll just go back onto the like the first round of the bulk building clinic mm-hmm. what they decided to do because they'd found endometriosis in in my laparoscopy um they decided that a um down regulation protocol which is where I had um cineral nasal spray um from like day 21 of my previous cycle and then from day one of the next cycle I started the stimulation 
drugs, which was Perugan, I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that she said that because that's really good for people with endometriosis. Um, so that was interesting. It, again, that's the round though that I felt that I was triggered a bit too soon. Um, so we discuss, I just actually discussed that with the fertility specialist. I think after you've done it a few times, you feel like you can kind of have a bit more informed conversations with them because the first few, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I didn't have any, you know, idea of anything um, or research. I don't think I even found the Facebook pages the first couple of rounds um, with the, um, you know, the support groups, um, which are really informative. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they're they're ridiculous, but sometimes you know, most of the time they're fantastic for information and, and support. Um, you know, there's been days where I've kind of just gone, I'm not coping. What do I do? And the support I've got has been amazing, mm-hmm. and I've actually really really good friends um from people but i've also got ideas from them as mm-hmm. well you know from from those pages which is you know what's worked for other people and, and i've been able to now discuss that with who are you know fertility specialists that i'm seeing so it's you know they're really integral to the process i think um i'm really pleased i found them mm-hmm. um um so going back to the fourth um stimulation around i they decided to try something different um and tried to went back to um an antique oh god i can't remember the name go back to just starting stims from day one Mm. um and that was with perigruvis which it's got lh in it as well as the fsh in it um to see if that made a difference um and i did get seven eggs but only again only two fertilized and I got a call at work. I was meant to be going to for the transfer on day five, um, and I, yeah, I, they did none, none of neither of them had made it to day five, um, and that was such a big sort of disappoint. I can't even describe it. It was like it takes all hope away when you don't even have embryos to transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I. I was inconsolable, to be quite honest, and I don't, I don't know why that hit me harder than any of the other sort of big fat nose or anything like that. It was just like that was like I didn't even have the chance. Do you know what I mean? Like that just took all hope away. And um, I was at work, and my boss just said, "Are you okay?" And I just burst into tears and couldn't speak. That kind of, you know, you're like. <laughs> You know, that kind of crying that you can't even get anything out. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, that one. Um, and it was probably one of my lowest points in terms of IVF. Um, it was really, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. I don't know, I, I guess it's just all your hopes and dreams are just shattered in one moment sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I think I'm an eternal optimist and... I think this process is is slowly but surely shaking that out of me, and mm-hmm. now I'm. I know. I mean, I've always had anxiety, you know, about whether things won't work, but I always think oh, I'll work out in the end. Mm-hmm. And I've always had the faith that no, we'll have a baby at the end of this. It's just going to be really hard. But um, unfortunately, I think that kind of is starting to wane a bit with all the experience of all the things that could go wrong have kind of gone wrong for us. I think mm-hmm. in a lot of senses. Um, uh, so then, so that was awful. Um, and I'd sorry, I didn't mention that I'd also alongside that done the immune protocol with my immunologist. So mm-hmm. it was again similar to what I'd done with my first clinic. So um, steroids and um, intralipid infusions and antibiotics and blood thinners. Um, and it was kind of frustrating because it's quite an expensive process. Um, and I'd had an intralipid infusion a couple of days before to make sure my body was ready for the transfer, you know. So there's the financial kind of frustrations as well. You know, you've just forked out $650 for something that, you know, is not even going to be useful because you've got nothing to transfer. You know, there's all the, those kind of thoughts go through your head as well. Mm-hmm. Um, makes me sound like all I worry about is money, but money is such a big part of it. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. Like, you're not yeah. the only one who worries about financial funds and things like that. I think that's something we yeah. all, because we, like, money is not infinite for us, you know? Like, we're putting exactly. it towards this thing that we hope and, you know, desire so badly that, 
you know, money is a very realistic roadblock that we have to we have to all get over, you know, or go around or figure out ways around yeah. it. So, yeah, definitely, you are not the only one who's concerned about money with that. And yeah, yeah, I mean, that's why we, like I said, that's why we moved to bulk billing and you know, forego the testing because it just, you know, I needed to have more options of being able to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, something has to give. Unfortunately, in an ideal world, we would be doing you know we'd have loads of money and we'd just be doing pgs testing and and and, you know know that um you know the embryos are put you know i know there's science that says you know it's not necessarily 100 percent proof but you know it's a you know it's a lot better than the mystery of just an embryo that looks okay Mm -hmm. um so yeah so that was pretty hard at that point um so i yeah it was the next one so I decided to I just had to work that's kind of when I decided um we spoke about before how um you know you've got to do things that make you happy in the here and now and 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 live in the present rather than you know I'm only going to be happy when I if and when I have a baby um that's when I really realized that I had to change that attitude um because it's just you can't live like that and I'd already been living it for a few years um so that was when I really kind of focused on changing that. Actually, I did a few things like I, I started, a, I found a course, an online course um, that is specifically for fertility um, and, you know, infertility, I should say, um, and, and how you deal with that and things. So I, I, I joined that. Um, I just started, doing, like I said, doing things that make me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we booked a holiday um, to Bali, something that we I'd been putting off, you know, lots of things like that. Um, so and then we did a we went into the other next round and I felt kind of quite positive even though we'd kind of had the lowest point in the previous round where we'd had none no embryos make it I kind of had changed you know changed my mental state and felt really positive and was happy to be going into it and excited which was you know not easy sometimes you sometimes you just dread it because it's it's draining physically not just mentally you know you're putting all these drugs in your body and you're having to you know deal with how that makes you feel and then that you know you're thinking constantly about is this going to work you know if what if it works what if it doesn't work how am I going to cope with that um just all these mixed emotions and 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 you know seeing other people happily have kids and stuff like that you know you know people you love telling you you have babies and, and or are pregnant you know people that you you really love and you get upset that they're telling you this and it's not that you're not upset I mean, you're upset with them it's that you're upset that you know you're not saying this people have told me I want to be jumping up and down on the table for them because you know I love them it's brilliant news but it just is a reflection of what I don't have and you know uh, you know that's uh, there's a real guilt with that mm-hmm. I don't want to feel bad about you know people I love having a wonderful thing happen to them and mm-hmm. And it, I know it's completely natural. Um, I, don't, I don't know why this particular thing's upsetting me, but it, I think it's just something you hold inside all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. It's a completely natural reaction to, you know, feel like it's a reflection of what you don't have. But at the same time, you feel really guilty that you're sitting there and, and feeling upset by wonderful news, you know. So mm-hmm. it's just, uh, that's kind of sums up infertility in a nutshell is there's so many conflicting emotions mm-hmm. about things um yeah it's you know I, I, anyone that's been through infertility has felt like that i know i you know i don't believe anyone that has says that they don't get it's not even it's not jealousy it's not a it's not a jealous thing it's just it's just a it's like holding a mirror up to yourself when someone else announces the pregnancy um you know i mean it's grief yeah 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 exactly grief you're right yeah i think we all you've just hit the nail on the head there and it's something we've heard from pretty much everybody that we've interviewed is the same thing is that when people around them you know tell them that they're pregnant you want to be happy but you also just want to sit there and cry at the same time because it's kind of like this is what i can't get and i want it so badly yeah um so sometimes it the ones in fact um sorry in fact they they affect you more than others and it can be people that you don't know that well i had one mm-hmm. where someone announced on facebook someone that i used to work with and i cried for two days about it and i don't know why that one in particular affected me more than you know someone that i know you know 
better. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's just, I guess it was probably just the timing. It was probably a week, you know, when I was feeling particularly sensitive or something along those lines. But yeah, some of them affect you more than others. But the ones that really affect me are when they're people that you really love, and then you just there's a guilt about that. You you know you feel awful, and you know, and it's what's interesting is the babies that they've had. I absolutely adore and love you know and and can't get enough of so it's not like I can't go and see them or anything like that it's just like I said it's holding a mirror up to yourself sort of thing Mm -hmm. um sorry so I'll carry on um yeah that's okay so we're up to I think we're up to your last stim round yeah 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 so yeah so um they went so the so even though the facility specialist that I had I in terms of she was quite cold I'm just going to be, yeah, like, you know, it was, Mm -hmm. I found her really difficult to deal with. I felt like she had no empathy whatsoever. She did, however, I felt like she explored different options for me. So that's why I stuck with her, you know, like even if I didn't like her bedside manner, I felt like she was trying to find what worked for me um, and tailor it. And I don't often heard that bulk billing clinics didn't do that. It was just a one size fits all. So I was really pleasantly surprised by that. So in her words, she said, let's throw the book at this. Um, so we went back to a, um, a downreg um, protocol with the Cineral before, the, like at day 21 and then and proven from um, day one of my next cycle. Um, but she also added DHEA um, supplements um, and melatonin a month before and then testosterone gel to start from the first day of um, my period and finish on the day of trigger. Um, and that was kind of, and up to the um, fish, so the Prugan um, 350, which is, I think is the max that they can do at bulk billing, um, highest dose that you can have. Um, and like I said, my attitude had kind of changed. I felt really positive. I felt like this was a, you know, gonna be a really good round. Um, and it turned out to be my best round completely. Um, I got 12 eggs, um, which I'd never had before. I'd only had five to seven max. Um, and out of those 12, 10 fertilized, um, which I was thrilled with. Um, but one thing I decided prior to this um, cycle was that I wanted to transfer on day three rather than um, wait for them to get to the blasts um, because I just had this fear of none making it um, to day five again. Um, And I'd read a bit about, you know, older women in their 40s um, having three-day transfers and that working quite well for them. And I actually had to battle because I had 10 um, fertilised. They actually wanted to go back on that and and transfer on day five. And I just said, no, I um, want to stick to my guns and transfer two on day three. Um, which is what I did um, and you kind of have to you know really advocate for yourself with stuff like that um, they, the nurses were really quite against it but I just was like this is what I feel in my gut I want to do um, and it may well have been the wrong decision but you know you, I hadn't tried it and that was something I wanted to try and I felt like we'd done a lot of other stuff and that was a you know what I wanted to do so we did it um, and I got positive and it was a positive that started kind of late, um, but it got darker and darker each day. Um, but I didn't really let myself believe because, you know, I'd had four previous no's um, and, you know, a couple of, you know, losses as well. So I wasn't going to let myself get too overexcited about it. Um, but it kept kind of my HCG started low, low when they do the blood tests, um, but it kept rising. Um, but then after a week or so, I start to spot. Um, and so that was worrying. Um, and it was never heavy. I was just, you know, I had to wear a pad, but it wasn't like um, really, really heavy or anything like that. It was just spotting every day. Um, and again, I was doing the immune protocol with my immunologist. Um, and then they measured my HCG and it got up to about a thousand and then it dropped to about 400. So we knew it wasn't viable. And because I have, that's the other thing I haven't mentioned, I have um, O negative blood. 
so I have to have the anti-G if I bleed in pregnancy at all. So I had to go to my local hospital because that's the only way, only place I could get it and um, get uh, an anti-D injection um, for that. So it's basically because um, in case my, which my partner does, he has a positive blood test, uh, blood type. So um, it, I'm, I'm terrible with the science and stuff, but yeah, it basically will stop it. Um, if there was any reason for future pregnancies that the O negative and the and mm -hmm. the positive blood from him mixed, then it could um, cause problems with the pregnancy in future. So that's why I have an entity. You know, probably explained it incorrectly, but that's kind of my understanding. Um, so I knew it wasn't viable by that point. I think it was about six and a half weeks by that point. Um, and my clinic just wanted me to just monitor me until it went back to zero, but it did it just kind of stayed at that kind of same level the hcg so after about 10 days they said oh well maybe we should send you refer you to the um early pregnancy unit at your local hospital to get checked out um, and i had asked so when i'd gone to get the anti-d um injection the 10 days poor they had said um after the clinic to do a ultrasound to make sure that it's not ectopic um and i asked my um, facility specialist and she said, oh, no point, they're just being overzealous at the hospital, don't worry about that. Um, I wish I'd kind of pressed because it turned out when I went to the early pregnancy unit at my hospital um, when they did the scan, um, I had a mass in my left fallopian tube. Um, so there was the, there was no heartbeat or anything, but it was a, had been a pregnancy at some point. Um, and the hospital obviously takes it really seriously um, and I went into um, emergency surgery that day and I didn't have any pain so I presumed it wasn't ruptured but when I came out of the um, operation they told me that my tube had actually ruptured and I had blood pooling in my pelvis um, not a huge amount so it probably only just happened but I'm um, it's quite scary to think that you know you might you know most people are double over in pain and, and need morphine and things like that um, an ectopic rupture um, and I didn't have anything apart from a bit of stitch um so that was that's a bit frightening for the future um so and that was that was all a bit traumatic because it was you know an emergency procedure you know you go in thinking one thing and then you know a couple of hours later you're going under anesthetic because you know it's quite serious and so i think i think back on that and i think i was you know it kind of was quite traumatic um, and it, you know, so physically you feel terrible. Like it take, takes at least a week to kind of feel remotely okay. Like I was hobbling like an old lady for a week, um, you know, and your insides feel kind of really almost burnt and bruised. And, you know, it wasn't pleasant in physically um, and mentally. I think, you know, you keep reliving it over and over again. I still do it sometimes, you know, kind of rush because they treat it very seriously at the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of, you know, you suddenly realise, I don't think I realised at the time, but you realise afterwards, actually, you know, they were treating it quite seriously. And I didn't really, you know, I'm kind of pleased I wasn't panicked at the time. But now when I think back, I'm surprised I wasn't sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that was, that was, you know, my third loss, which was kind of, but again, I know this sounds weird, but I kind of, again, felt positive, like, you know, I at least I'm getting a positive pregnancy test, you know, at least, you know, yes, it, it, you know, implanted in the wrong place, but, you know, something's starting to happen. Whereas prior to that, and I think I started to think that I would, it just was, my body just wasn't going to co cooperate and it just was never going to work. Um, and I just was starting to lose my sort of faith that, you know, eventually it would work. Um, and the other good news was that I had out of the rest of the embryos, um, we got six top graded um, blastocysts frozen. Mm -hmm. So it was a really successful round apart from the fact that it turned into an ectopic. Mm -hmm. um, so there was kind of a, lot, a few positives out of that. Um, and I'd never really let myself believe that, that it was a real pregnancy. So I hadn't really, I didn't feel a massive sense of loss, if that, um, that sounds awful, but I think you, know, you, you do whatever you can to protect yourself. Um, mentally with stuff like that mm -hmm. um, um, 
So I waited until I got my cycle back and we went into a frozen embryo transfer. Um, oh, and because I, sorry, I did forget to mention that we had to, on top of all of that, um, I had to cancel my trip to Bali oh. as well because all that was going on. So, you know, I tried to do the right thing and, and, and book something and just, you know, throw caution to the wind and unfortunately we ended up having to cancel it. But luckily I had really good travel insurance and ended up getting my money back. So it wasn't, but it was, you know, a process as these things always are. But yeah, um, that, you know, you try and do something that will, you know, you'll feel good about yourself. And then, you know, it unfortunately ended up getting cancelled. So yeah, we went into another embryo, frozen embryo transfer. I think I got my period after four weeks after the ectopic, so it wasn't a big wait and we went straight into one. and it was a natural um, frozen embryo transfer, um, which I actually really enjoyed. There was no, didn't have to take anything, although I was still doing the immune. Oh no, I didn't do an immune protocol. I decided to try it without the immune protocol for that one. So I had no drugs whatsoever apart from progesterone prior to the transfer. Um, I just wanted to see what my body would do if it, there was no sort of help, um, you know, and, and because the, biopsies whenever I'd had them the natural cells were only slightly elevated so I wanted to see if you know if that was made the difference um but unfortunately there was it didn't work it didn't stick at all that one Mm -hmm. um and then so then in November we did another one so I had a month off so I could have gone straight to another one but again trying to look after my mental health I just decided that I need to have a, a month off and just you know um I think you just need to sort of look after yourself and try and listen to what your mind and your body is saying. So I just had a month off. Um, and then we did another frozen embryo transfer, which was just November, just gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took, so I had another positive pregnancy test, but again, the HCG, the blood test um, was low, but it was rising and this time my progesterone levels were really good, like much higher than when I had my ectopic. So kind of things felt a bit more positive. Um, so all over Christmas, I was pregnant and feeling terrible, to be quite honest. I don't feel sick when I'm pregnant, but I feel um, really um, tired and I get um, really bad reflux the minute I eat or drink anything at all, all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so you just feel a bit rubbish but I was happy rubbish you know I was happy to be pregnant and feeling terrible um and then the seven week scan came around ultrasound and there was uh just a sac and no embryo um and that was pretty I'd kind of let myself believe with that one so it was pretty upsetting so um and I had to go to work straight afterwards so my partner Luke came with me um and we found out and then I had to go to work. Mm. I just had to pretend that everything was okay. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, and it was awful. <laughs> but you know, what can you do? So life just has to go on sometimes, you know. Um, so that was my most recent one. So I've had in total seven transfers um, and three, uh, five um, stimulation rounds. Um, so yeah, and I'm still kind of recovering from that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only just recently, so um, I think it was, Seven, nearly seven weeks afterwards, I didn't get my period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I was going to do another um, frozen embryo transfer as soon as I got one. But my dad and my stepmom are coming out to visit me in a couple of weeks. And I just decided I wanted to just enjoy them coming to visit and hold off everything until after they've come and gone. I mm-hmm. think, you know, like I said, you've just got to live in, live in what's going to make you happy and I don't want to be feeling miserable with them or affected in any way you know my dad's never come to visit me in 12 years um so it's a big deal that he's coming out to see me um in, from the UK you know it's a big journey and he, you know I just I just want them to have a good time I want me to have a good time and I just felt like having a, a frozen embryo transfer in that time just isn't ideal and I just you know I'm putting me first for 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 the time being and then we'll do one in April I think so Mm -hmm. yeah in a month or so um you know and I think that's I think you know I still it's still creeping up on me the emotions you know there's certain things that set me off and I think I'm okay and the minute I think I'm okay 
and then something happens and I get upset or, you know, you know, get really sensitive or, you know, um, but yeah, I'm, you know, it hasn't worked, but I'm still feeling like it will work eventually. Um, we still have five embryos um, to transfer. So the one that we had with my first clinic, I've transferred to my bulk billing clinic. So they're all, they're all together. I feel like they're all together. That's good. I don't know why that bothered me, but it did. <laughs> How do you think IVF has affected your relationships? So with Luke and, you know, your your friendships and things like that? Um, with Luke, look, I think it, it could easily break a couple. Um, you know, there is times when I'm resentful because I have to do the vast majority of it. Um, but we've, I mean, I see a psychologist but, and she's kind of helped me to sort of navigate that. But also we've talked a lot. I think that's really key. You have to have um, communication about it. So we've discussed, you know, when I'm doing stimulation drugs or any kind of drugs, you know, your your hormones are being messed with and it's not a normal time. So, you know, maybe don't tease me, you know, I'm not going to be able to take that or just be extra, extra nice. And if I'm being a bitch, you just have to take that on the chin. That's your job. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we've kind of come to a good understanding it's still hard no matter what like mm-hmm. there's still points where he feels like a stranger and I feel like a stranger you know I don't actually feel like myself to myself either so I can't understand how you know I can't imagine how he must feel about that but we're still together we're not it doesn't feel like we're you know close to not being together because of it or anything like that but I can see why some couples don't survive I really can mm-hmm. um, and I feel incredibly lucky that you know, we're obviously the right people for each other, that we are, you know, still together and, and still surviving. And he's, I can't even tell you how fantastic he is in a crisis, you know, like he just knows what to say, what to do. Um, yeah, he just like, you know, um, when I had to deliver my first baby at 15 weeks, he just did things like put my hair up and stuff, you know, like just knew what I needed at that time I didn't even know you know so he's he's pretty amazing and I'm probably you know a complete cow to him sometimes and he just takes it um and you know it is really really hard on a relationship um but I feel like it's actually made us stronger and I think we're really lucky in that respect Mm um you know it's really good in terms of other people um I'm pretty open um so, you know, I don't go around telling everyone that I'm doing all this or this is happening to me, but I will, if someone asks me, you know, like if someone asks me, why don't we have kids, I'll be honest and, and, and have, you know, tell them why I'm not, I don't hide things because I don't think that's healthy. Um, but I have had points where I have had to really realise that I'm struggling and have been really sort of grumpy, I've had, you know, things where, you know, at work I'm probably not receptive to other people in the same way that I used to be um, and I've had to really work on that um, you know you know perhaps snap at people quicker than I you know used to and you know put up with things more um, sorry don't put up with things <laughs> that I used to and things like that um, and you know there's been a few times where I haven't been able to control my emotions um, especially after the losses you know you're really grieving at that point. And there's been times where I just wanted to be a recluse because I'm not sure how I react to people. Um, You know, I don't want to go and see family. I don't want to see friends because I'm not sure that I can, it's not even holding it together. Like, I think sometimes my grief comes out in complete anger and, you know, I can't be, I don't want to fall out with someone because I've lost it with someone over something little. Um, You know, and there has been times where I have had big arguments with people really lost it and and when I look back I think it's got, got a lot to do with emotionally where I was at at that point um and also the hormones you know you're either up or you're down with the hormones and, and they're being messed with and I, I think that really affects how you react to things and how you take things um and I'm a bit more conscious of that now so if I feel like I can't I can't trust how I'm going to behave I just don't go to see I don't put myself in those situations um, because I don't want to ruin, I've not ruined any friendships, thank goodness, but there is potential for that. I think there is 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also anger, you know, at people saying stupid shit. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not, I, you know, don't tell me to relax, please, please. And I know that everyone will have said that to you because everyone gets that. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want to know what your cousin's, auntie's daughter did, you know, like and to get a baby. Like, that doesn't help me in my journey, you know. And, and there's times when you just, you know, you're just like, really? And people don't get it if they haven't been through it. And I didn't get it before I had been through it, you know. Um, and I look back on how I thought, thought things were, what they were like, and you know, um, and you know, and, and the other thing is there is a sense of embarrassment as well. Um, you know, I've got a group of friends in the UK that I've always stayed in touch with and known since we were at school, and they're really special to me. But I was really um, debating whether to tell them about the latest um, loss that I had because. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing that this keeps happening and I have to consider good news. I have to tell them bad news yet again. And I think I would be sitting there going, why did not you just stop? This is ridiculous. You know, and I don't know. You know, it's it's normal. Everyone else has it. You know, they can get pregnant easily. And it just feels embarrassing sometimes when you can't. I don't know. That's probably not the right um, emotion that you have but to have. But it, that's what I have had. Yeah. There's no right or wrong emotion to feel and i think the you know part of the reason too is that people like you said people who um are able to fall pregnant easily they have that opportunity to you know have sex and fall pregnant um Mm. we don't have that so um you know they just it's not being rude we're just simply stating the fact that you simply just cannot understand it unless you've been through that angst before um but yeah there's definitely no right or wrong way to feel about this and it's just really beautiful that you're being so upfront and honest about it because I think that's what we need to be with ourselves when we go through these things because otherwise if you're continuously denying that you're feeling resentful or that you're feeling embarrassed or that you're feeling sad, you're denying your own reality and that's just a slippery slope when you start to do that, I think. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, like I said, I'm always quite an open person so I'm not – I can't, I'm not very good at hiding things. So yeah. I'm not very good at sort of holding back. If someone asks me a question, I can't mm-hmm. say, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, we're not trying. You know, whatever. I just, they would see through it straight away anyway. So I might as well just tell them the truth, you yeah. know. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's a, um, there's sort of like a, I don't know, like a release in being candid like that, you know. So you yes. sort of, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a relief to sort of just get it off your chest as well, I think. Yeah, it is. But there are times when you don't want to tell people because you don't want their emotional baggage with it. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't want to get, you don't, I don't want to upset other people by telling my, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I I can't explain it. But yeah, sometimes you just like, I just don't want to tell someone because they'll feel awful. Like I wear a a necklace on my um, every day and it's got a a footprint of the baby. So I called him Laurie. And um, I've got a little footprint of his, so um, and so I wear it. And people, sometimes every now and then, people ask, mm-hmm. and I don't wear it so other people can see it and ask me a question. I wear it because it's it's a real comfort to me. You yeah. know, I like to have it. Um, and so sometimes I just lie because I don't want to feel their pain. Mm-hmm. When I, you know what I mean? Like I don't want them to go, "I'm so sorry," and or you know, or whatever. It's just you know. I guess, I, yeah, I, it's it's hard to sort of, you know, deal with other people. And it's, and it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with them saying that. It's just sometimes I don't want to upset someone else, you know. That's mm-hmm. all I mean, really. I yeah. think also too, particularly with, you know, termination for medical reasons and IVF and things like that, when people ask you, you're in a position that sometimes you don't, you're exhausted with educating people all the time, you know, so you're educating them and, you know, ultimately people who have been through fertility treatment and situations such as yours and Luke's, you know, you are in a great position, but you're exhausted too. And so Mm. you need to, you need to protect yourself. And if that means, you know, not telling someone what that necklace around your neck is, then that's 100% the right thing to do for you guys at that very given moment, you know? Um, I know myself, you know, I get exhausted with having to explain it to people who don't understand like again and again. And, you know, it's my family members that I've told time and time again, but they keep asking the same questions. And it's kind of like, can you just Google it? Because 
I'm getting tired of having to explain it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's I, I have to say, um, you know, I, I talk about it with a couple of family, like I talk about with my mum and my cousin, um, and they're fantastic. You know, they've educated themselves and they, you know, they do sometimes ask me questions, but it's not, you know, it's, it, I always feel like I can talk about it and not feel like I have to explain everything all of the time you know they've kind of they kind of get it so but there are other people that you just go oh i just how do i spend this in layman terms so i don't keep getting asked questions sort of thing yeah that's exactly right mm-hmm. um lovely so we kind of need to start wrapping it up um sure. so if you could speak to yourself at the start of your fertility journey what would you say to yourself i don't sweat the small stuff um mm-hmm. my you know like there's things that you're going to worry about that just not worth worrying about um you know and you can't control what happens so don't worry about the fact that your period didn't start on a certain day and you're going to start stims on you know on that day and that's what you had planned and etc etc like you're dealing with mother nature um and things are unexpected and yeah just to not sweat small stuff honestly it's just not worth it because it's like you know it's just yeah i just i remember the first time i did ivf and i the bloods didn't you know get these day one bloods and the the results didn't come back the same day and i just didn't sleep that night because it had you know what if it gets cancelled and i'm so excited to get started and it's just like i wish i'd not bothered to be that worried about something so small Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah and to get support, like to go on the support pages and find your friends on there and have someone to talk to that completely 100% understands what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Like I can't um, explain to you, I've got like three or four ladies that I talk to on Messenger all of the time that have absolutely been my rocks and that have got me through the darkest, darkest days. Um, and only they could because they are the only people that have understood it you know and I'm sure it's vice versa them from you know I've supported them as well you know and it's a you know they're people that I would you know that have different political views have different views of life you know that you know that wouldn't necessarily be my friends outside of this but that are so important to me now mm-hmm. um I can't it's you know that really really is important to have people that understand and that just you know will just listen and get it you know, I, yeah, the, the, uh, you know, it's that kind of thing. We definitely say look for that because you will find it on those support pages. Lovely. Awesome. Well, I think that's pretty much everything. Thank you so much for joining us, Lucy. Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much for, you know, asking me to do it. So appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Vlad Galushenko. You can join us wherever you get your podcasts.